So, so let's begin. All right, this is Daily Power Parsha. It is great to have Recording you here for DPP as it's known. Tuesday, August 17, 2021. And we're studying the Torah portion of Shoftim. Today is Tuesday, so we're studying the third reading of Shoftim. I'm going to share my screen with you, and I think we're ready to jump in. Boom. Right. Did I, I keep on saying Shoftim, and, I, and I'm, I'm consistently wrong, because it's Shoftim. That, yes. Everyone's being polite to the rabbi. It's like, how do you tell a rabbi that he's totally wrong? <laughs> like that. Just say, Rabbi, Shoftim was last week, I believe. All right. Yeah, this week's Torah portion is Kitetse. So everything that I've told you up to now is a lie. It is not Shoftim, it is Kitetse. But it's still an amazing Torah portion, and there's still a ton of mitzvot in this week's Torah portion with a variety of conversations. So... Yesterday, we spoke about going to war and the Aisha Sifas Toar, the, 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 um, the, the woman who's taken captive and the husband and, and the soldier wants to marry her and the protocol with that. And we talked about the laws of marriage and divorce. We spoke about, we spoke about the idea of the Ben Sorer Umora, the rebellious son, and other very, very interesting topics. Third reading, Kitetse begins now. Deuteronomy chapter 22 Verse number eight, when you build a new house, here you go. When you build a new house, you shall make a guardrail for your roof. Okay, this is called a ma'akeh. In Hebrew, ma'akeh is a guardrail. So that you shall not cause blood to be spilled in your house, that the one who falls should fall from it the roof. Okay, that's a very clunky way to say it in the English but what it means is that if you have a roof that people can go and stand on top, you have to put up a, a guardrail lest somebody on your roof fall off your roof and die. So you don't want the blood. You don't want to cause blood to be spilled in your house, right? And that would happen if one who falls should fall from the roof. In other words, one who falls means, as the Torah says, ki yipol menu. If the faller, the nofel, if the faller would fall from your roof, then that would be your problem. You know what that means if the faller falls? Why don't you say if a person falls? Why the faller falls? That indicates even if the person who fell was doing something a bit reckless, they were doing something a bit irresponsible, they were doing cart cartwheels on your roof. Who does cartwheels on the roof? After a few l'chaim. That doesn't make any sense. Well, Maybe it does make sense after Yulachim. Everything makes sense after Yulachim. But the point is that the person, they didn't act in the proper way. They were doing the car, cartwheels on the roof. That's the nofel. Yipal hanofel. The faller fell. The faller, the one who was acting a bit recklessly, fell. Yeah, but you have to do your due diligence and have the guardrail so that even if somebody is not responsible, not so responsible, or acting so responsibly, they're still not going to fall off your roof. In other words, what, what's on them is on them, but what's on you is on you. By the way, Jewish law in general puts the responsibility um, also on the person. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to phrase this, this relationship. You know, when you have a relationship, let's say buyer and seller of a house. You have a seller of the house and the buyer of the house. So typically we say caveat emptor, right? Um, buyer beware. You have to do due diligence. It's on the buyer. The seller doesn't have to disclose the defects or the faults, whatever. Okay, Jewish law may disagree a little bit. Jewish law may say, one second. 
um, the seller has a responsibility to make sure that the seller is not doing anything that would cause the buyer to be mis mis misled or, 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 or unaware of something. Another example. When it comes to privacy. So who's responsible for privacy? So you think, typically, the, the one who's concerned about it, it's their, it's, their, it's their responsibility. So if you don't, you know. But Torah puts the, puts the, the responsibility on the other party, on the potential violator of the privacy. I gave a class at the National Jewish Retreat called The Ethics of Voyeurism. And Jewish law basically says that it's, like if you build a house, imagine, I'll give you a scenario. Imagine you have a house with a nice backyard and a pool. And you have privacy. You have like, a, um, like trees or a fence. You have a privacy thing, and no one can see down into your pool area. Backyard, it's private. What happens if your neighbor decides they're going to build a big house next door? Very tall, with a rooftop, right? With, with a guardrail, but with a rooftop. But now they can see down into your property. Okay? It's a problem. It's potentially a problem. What's the problem? The problem is that it, the, the privacy that existed is not being violated. So whose fault, whose who has to deal with the problem? So typically we say in America, you want your privacy, you figure it out. You want a wall, build a higher wall, whatever. But Judaism puts responsibility on the other party. The same thing is over here. So you would say, if somebody doesn't want, want to fall off your roof, they shouldn't fall off your roof. Let them not go up there, let them not act recklessly, and that's it. So the Torah says, no, if it's your house, you have to put up the guardrails. You have to, and by the way, in the privacy situation, it's the owner of the house that has to pay for the wall, pay for the fence. You, the potential violator of privacy, you have to, it's your responsibility, and you have to pony up the cash for it. Again, in a similar vein here with, when it comes to safety, who's responsible? The Torah says, the homeowner. Yeah, but this guy was acting recklessly. Doesn't matter. Which, by the way, is a larger lesson in life. Oftentimes we say about, we, say, we, we, we all know this phrase, they had it coming to them. You ever hear that phrase? Right? They had it coming. You know, they weren't, eh, it was coming to them. It's not, a Jewish, it's not a Jewish line. It's not a Jewish line. It doesn't matter if somebody, you know, whatever. we have to make sure that the other one is, uh, is okay to the best of our ability. It's our responsibility. To make, yes, Joy. But it's also our responsibility to install safety protocols around our person and our property. And if somebody's right. running down the street recklessly, we don't put a leg out to trip them. Right. Right. Maybe you don't. But I... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just joking. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Point well taken. And the Torah is telling us here that when it comes to a roof, it's your roof, your responsibility. I, the person, wasn't acting so responsible. Okay, so they have, their, they have their issues to, you know, that's what they have to work on. But you have to do everything. I mean, you can't, nothing's 100%, but to the best of your ability, make sure that your space is safe. Anyway, it's just a lesson in life about responsibility and, you know, who's to blame. And everyone wants to point fingers. This is the truth in life. Everyone points fingers. Something goes wrong, and everyone's like, their fault, their fault, my, not my fault, it's their fault. The Torah says, end of the day, it's your house, your roof, your responsibility. Done. Okay, they had it. What about the upstairs people? Like, yes. Explain, explain. 
and the people who say the owner lives here the and, and people move in over him yeah, yeah so who's responsible is anything for Interesting. So your question is, if the upstairs, if the owner lives downstairs and the tenants yeah. live upstairs, it's a duplex right. now, and there's a roof, who's responsible for the roof? Exactly. But Pashtus, it would be the owner. In other words, it would, be, it would be the owner. It's still the owner's house. The tenants don't own the house. They're just living in the space, right? Even if they have use... complaining. Who's complaining? Upstairs. Are they? I mean, you're giving me the scenario, so I'm, I'm going with you. You, but you have to. But you have to lay out your scenario. I, I want to be clear what your scenario is. The people upstairs are complaining about what? Uh, that they can't see because the person on this floor has a big sukkah, and so they can't see. Their view is all of a sudden. Oh, you're talking about a view that's blocked. Oh, that's a different. I don't know. That's I. That's outside of my expertise. I don't know. The. So the stuff that I was talking about is the other way, where you need to block the view because it's infringing on privacy. You're talking about the other thing. Somebody had a nice view of the ocean, and now some Jew put up a hut, right, and blocked the ocean view. Who does that? that okay, that's a good question. I don't, I don't have a... I don't, that's, that's a little outside it's of this... It's temporary, though. It's yeah, temporary. they'll say, you know what, you're right, I'll take it down in seven days. I mean, it's like one of those things, you know, no big deal. It'll be down in a week. Um, but I understand your question. Um, I don't know. That's that's a different type of hazak, maybe. The basin ruled that the, the owner is respons was responsible. Yeah. Look, in general, the owner would be responsible. I, I, there's a, there's a few things that could be happening in that scenario. Anyway, it's a, it's yeah. A, it's yeah. All right. So bottom line though is, if there's a roof, you got to put up a thing, even if you could say it's that guy's fault. Forget pointing fingers, your roof, your responsibility. you got to take care of business. All right, let's go jump back inside and let's check out what we have now with regards to vineyards. You shall not, verse 9, you shall not sow your vineyard together with a mixed variety of species lest the increase, lest the increase, even the seed that you sow and the yield of your vineyard Oh, yeah, lest the increase, even the seed that you sow and the yield of the vineyard both become forbidden. Okay, basically, the Torah is saying don't mix in a vineyard mixed seeds. Don't mix species of seeds, right? Why? What's the problem? This is called kilayim. Kilayim is, is, is forbidden mixtures. There's many forms of forbidden mixtures like meat and milk, wool and linen, right? Don't, don't eat wool and linen. Don't wear meat and milk or maybe the other way. I forget already. I'm kidding, right? Don't eat meat and milk. Don't wear wool and linen and don't mix in your vineyard mixed seeds together. More forbidden mixtures. Okay, verse number 10. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Don't do ox and donkey planting. Not, not planting, plowing, sorry. Don't plow them either. Don't plant them either. But no plowing with an ox and a donkey. Why not? What's wrong with an ox and a donkey? Well, some say the ox is stronger than a donkey. The donkey is going to struggle to keep up. It's not nice to the donkey. Some say that there might be other, other issues involved. But it's, you know, when it comes to these forbidden mixtures... Ultimately, these are divine decrees that remain a little bit outside of our full comprehension. Verse 11, which I referenced a moment ago, you shall not wear a mixture of wool and linen together. Wool and linen, a Torah fashion faux pas. <gasps> wool and linen, somebody's on the runway. <gasps> How could you, right? Uh, 
terrible faux pas. But it's a it's a it's a God, it's a divine faux pas. Don't wear woolen linen together. Why not woolen linen? Again, ultimately we don't know. Some ideas that have been given, um, woolen linen come from two different types of uh, of um, kingdoms of existence. Wool is from the animal kingdom. Linen is from the plant kingdom. Veg, vegetable vegetation. That's one thing. The other thing is that Cain and Abel. Cain brought uh, flax. And Abel brought a sheep as an offering. And God liked the sheep and didn't like the, fla- didn't like the flax. Linen is made from flax. And wool is made from sheep. And thus, the idea to not mix them together, to kind of remind us of giving the best to God and not giving not the best as Cain did. Something along those lines. Again, some, some ideas. Let's continue verse 12. Here we have A. Mitzvah of tzitzis, you shall make yourself twisted threads on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. This, of course, is the mitzvah of tzitzis. Now, let's, show, let's do some Rashi's. Um, let's see what we have. Rashi said about the guy who falls, so that the one who falls should fall, but should not fall, really. That's what it really means. That one who would fall deserves to fall to his death on account of his sins. Ah, he says not even reckless. He says sinful. This guy maybe should have deserved to die because of his sins. Nevertheless, you should not be the one to bring about his death. You don't have to be the one in- involved. For, and this is a beautiful line, meritorious things are executed. That's maybe a bad turn of phrase, but meritorious things happen through meritorious people, while things of ill fortune happen through guilty people. So even if um, one could say it's an accident, but why did the accident happen through you? Right? Must be because there's some measure of culpability there on some subtle level. Next, we t- yes, yeah, yeah. So in in civic law, that we 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 put the fence up to preserve our monetary liability, right? You know, to mitigate against that, right? And the Torah is saying mitigate against your spiritual liability. I love that. I love that. Well, very well put. Excellent, Donna. I love it. So there's. The civil liability, financial liability, and then there's the spiritual, inner, deeper liability. I love it. Good. Do the right thing. And also save a lawsuit. Okay, um, number, no, verse 9. Let's see if there are any Rashi's here that I want to read. Um, wheat and barley would be problematic. Something with grapeseed, okay. Da, 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 da. Plow oxen, donkey. Here we go. Um, Rashi says regarding the prohibition about plowing with an ox and donkey, Rashi says the same law applies to any two species in the world. In other words, any two animals that are different species should not be um, uh, yoked together in a yoke to plow. Similarly, this law applies also to merely leading them together when they are bound to each other as a pair for transporting any load. It doesn't have to only be plowing. Hooking them together for transporting any load would be problematic. Violation of this mixture. Next, the idea of not wearing a mixture of wool linen together. We call that shatnes. In Hebrew, it's shatnes. But we've talked about shatnes before. There's laboratories. You buy a garment, you buy a suit, you buy a dress, whatever it is. You give it to the laboratory. They check it out, make sure there's no wool and linen. You can't trust the labels always. Labels lie. That's the way it works. Labels don't mention certain minute amounts of threads. And uh, it is what it is. So it's always good 
to take it into a Shatna's laboratory. I believe Rabbi Asa locally does Shatna's. Is that correct? Yes. Rabbi Asa, right. our scribe from last week. And uh, yeah, so he does also the Shatna's testing out in Toko Thrills, a.k.a. Toko Hills. Um, good. Spun and woven. Here we go. So our rabbis explain, Rashi says, that the term Shatnez is an acronym of the terms Shua, combined, Tavoy, Spun, and Nuz, Woven. Thus our rabbis explain that the Torah prohibition of Shatnez applies only to materials combed, spun, and woven together. So you're allowed to wear a belt of linen on top of wool trousers. That's not a problem. They're separate, separate items. You could wear a linen shirt and wool pants, or vice versa. You could wear a wool coat over a linen shirt, yeah. right, or dress. Not a problem. It's the problem is if they're woven together in the same garment or really attached in really any significant way to each other. If it's just layering, not a problem. Okay, the twisted threads in the four corners, verse 12. Even from a mixture of wool and linen, you're allowed to make tzitzis theoretically. For this reason, Scripture juxtaposes them. These two commandments, shanas and tzitzit. Okay, we don't really do that, but theoretically that would be, um, that would be possible. Now let's get into the Torah's discussion about relationships. And this is going to be a bit of a, it's definitely an interesting topic. I think it's going to bring up some questions, but let's, let's jump into it. Verse 13, if a man takes a wife, is intimate with her, and despises her. That's a very strong term. And he makes libelous charges against her and gives her a bad name, saying, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I did not find any evidence of virginity for her. So she had claimed to be a virgin, and I was with her, and that wasn't true. Okay, that's the claim. That's the claim. So, verse 15, then the girl's father and her mother shall obtain evidence of the girl's virginity. And now, what does that actually mean? Okay. Right. And take it out to the elders of the city, to the gate. Verse 16, and the, father's, the girl's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife, and he despised her for whatever reason. And behold, he made libelous charges, saying, I did not find evidence of your daughter's virginity. But this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. They shall spread the garment. I'm assuming this means... Uh, a sheet or whatever, before the elders of the city, then the elders of that city shall take the man and chasten him. So this guy made up, made up uh, rumors about his wife. That's not a nice thing. That's a very bad thing. So, and they shall find him 100 shekels of silver because he defamed the virgin of Israel and he gave it to the girl's father. Oh, and he gave it to the girl's father. And she shall be his wife. He shall not send her away all the days of his life. Basically, say now you're saying, but maybe she doesn't want to be with him. Yeah, well, if she doesn't want to be with him, then that's grounds also for there to be a divorce. But even though the divorce has to go from husband to wife, but that is, could be uh, you know, potentially um, a valid grounds. The point is, if she, sorry, if she wants to be with him and he's causing problems, then there's a fine that's involved and the Besden says, stop messing around, be a mensch, and that's it. But if this matter was true, indeed, no evidence of the girl's virginity was found. Okay, no, one second, one second, one second. One second. I have to clarify. This is specifically talking about a case where she got betrothed, so she, in essence, married this guy. And, what ha had, and then, before they consummated the marriage, she was with someone else. 
Okay, that's the, the specific case over here. So this is a case of adultery. That's why we have verse 21. They shall take the girl out to the entrance of her father's house, and the men of her city shall pelt her with stones, and she shall die, for she did a disgraceful thing in Israel to commit adultery in her father's house. Basically, back in the day, let me just explain what's going on here. Back in the day, you know, at a Jewish wedding nowadays, uh, everything happens under the chuppah. Kiddushin, Erisin, everything happens under the chuppah. It all happens simultaneously. Back in the day, though, um, they would get betrothed and married oftentimes a full year apart. A full year apart. There would be a betrothal ceremony where the ring was put on the finger and they were officially married, although they hadn't consummated the marriage. And then a year later, they would have the Nisuyan, which is another celebration, and that marked the... Um, would, that, that would be the, fi the finalization of the, of the marriage. That, wh why did they do it that way then? I don't know, to lock the person in, not lock them in, but to, to kind of you know, lock things down and to kind of formalize who's marrying whom. And then they would do the arrangements. You know, they, it's, basically, it's just a more, it's a stronger level of what we call today engagement. Engage, be, having a period of engagement is normal, right? A couple gets engaged, and then at a certain time later, they get married. So back in the day, it would be about a year, but engagement was more than engagement. It was a form of, it was, there was a ring that was given, and there was a pledge that was made, and it was, if you wanted to break it off, you would actually have to get a divorce. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? It's basically, imagine a form of engagement that's almost marriage. You would need a divorce, right? You can't just say, all right, it's not, you know, we're not going to culminate it. It, it, it's, it's already considered on some level marriage, and if any party you know, messes around, it is considered to be adultery, essentially. So that's what we're talking about. So this guy betrothed this young woman, and they hadn't been married yet. They hadn't culminated the marriage yet, consummated the marriage. About a year later, right? So they're together, and he says Some, something happened in between. She must have been with another guy when we were betrothed. So if it's not true, so then he has to pay a fine for making up a story. If it is true, again, how do you prove it? Okay, that's, that's maybe you can't, but if you can, then indeed, there is theoretically liability, it's liable for the death penalty because it is adultery, which in Jewish law and Torah law is a capital crime. It's actually one of the severe um, uh, indiscretions. It's one of the big three. There is murder, idolatry, and adultery. Those are the three big ones that were uh, pretty severe. Okay, so that is, that is that. Now let's get back into, into the text. Rabbi, don't you get the, doesn't something terrible happen to you from, in, in, in heaven if you get to heaven for those three things? This I don't know. This I don't know. Could be. Look, we, we believe in a cleansing process, and then, uh, you know, and, and the capital punishment itself is, is, a, is a cleansing on, on some level, and then the soul cleansing, and that hopefully takes care of business. Um, yeah, here we go. So to continue this idea of the prohibition against adultery, the Torah specifies what I would say perhaps is a more, okay, 
The example that we gave is a very unique example where there was betrothal, she got betrothed to this guy, and then before the marriage was culminated, so she was with someone else, and he suspected her, and it was discovered, and okay. Let's just go a more standard case here, verse 22. If a man is found lying with a married woman, even, even both of them shall die, the man lying with the woman and the woman, so shall you clear away the evil from Israel. So the Torah clarifies that when there is adultery with the married woman, both parties are liable for the death penalty. And by the way, every time we talk about death penalty, I say the same thing, so I'm probably a broken record, but just in case, you know, you, you, just in case you forgot, to actually apply the death penalty was very, very difficult, nearly impossible to actually apply it because you need such a high burden of evidence, witnesses and everything, the whole, the whole shebang. Two witnesses, eyewitnesses, they not just saw two people go into a, a building together, a hotel room, that actually saw the act, the act happening and had to warn the perpetrators of that, of that sin saying, you should, don't you know that this is forbidden? They have to say, yes, I know, I'm still doing it anyway within a certain amount of time. And it has to happen within a certain amount of time from the warning. In order to actually um, apply the death penalty in this case would be extremely difficult, if not impossible. Nonetheless, the Torah is telling us it's a, it's a serious problem. It's a serious indiscretion. In other words, don't do it. Okay. Let's continue. Rabbi, isn't yes. that the story of Cosby and Cosby and, um, you know who I mean? Zimri and Cosby? Yes, yes, yes. She, I don't know if she was married or not, uh, but it was a Midianite situation. I'm not sure. She might have been. I don't know. She was a Midianite princess, and that was a whole, that was a a form of of, of enticement to idolatry. So that had another element altogether. But yeah, that was a pretty, that's when Pinchas speared the two two people uh, back in the Book of Numbers. Yeah, um, that might not be this exact case. Okay. Here we go. Let's continue verse 23. Now we get into the case called, um, now we get, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll see. If there is a virgin girl betrothed to a man, oh, similar case to what we had before, and another man found, finds her in the city and lies with her. So again, so she is betrothed to another guy, and then she's with, she's betrothed to a guy, and then she's with another guy. This is really the scenario that we said before, but instead of coming from the husband's suspicion, this is just saying factually, if this is what happened, then 24, you shall take them both out to the gate of that city. In other words, the betrothed girl, the, the woman, and the guy that's with her, and you shall pelt them with stones. Again, obviously, you don't just take them out and pelt them with stones. This is a court, a process, witnesses, due process of the law, 23 judges in the Sanhedrin, in the high court, yada, yada, yada. And they shall die, again, potentially, there's death penalty here, whether it will be applied or not. That's another case. The girl, because she did not cry out even though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So shall you clear away the evil from you. Now, what does this mean, the girl did not cry out? So the point is here that we don't, the Torah is trying to contrast this with a case of rape. In a case where a woman is assaulted, a married woman, a betrothed woman, if she's assaulted, obviously, obviously, there's no death penalty for her. She's a victim. So the Torah is trying to clarify, we're talking about a case where she's not a victim, but a willing participant. How do you know? Okay, so then obviously there's 23 judges that will figure that out. Um, but the point is that, that, she, that, uh, that she was a willing participant, and therefore that's why the death penalty is potentially applicable. But, verse 25, here's a case of assault and rape. But if a man finds a betrothed girl in the field, 
Now, the reason why I use a city versus field is not because anything that happens in a city is consensual and anything that happens in a field is non-consensual. It doesn't mean that, you know, consent is based on locale. That's obviously, hopefully, obviously not what it means. And we understand that. What it means is likely scenarios. The Torah often speaks in more likely scenarios. It's more likely that if, that if a man finds... I don't even know how to say this. It's, it's more likely that an assault would happen away from a very populated area. Whereas something that's more consensual would happen in, you know, amongst the populace, obviously behind the closed door, but, you know, etc. The, the idea of a field is a place where an assault is more likely, God forbid. So that's why I use that example. But there could be a, a, a rape in the city and something consensual in the field. It's not about field or city. I'm just explaining the terms, right, because we used here city and field. So city and field, not necessarily. It's more about whether it was willing or not willing. But if a man finds a betrothed girl in the field and the man overpowers her and lies with her, again, that's a clear case of non-consent, then only the man who lay with her shall die. Okay? And again, this is going back, this law goes back 3,300 years. This is original, five books of Moses, 3,300 years. Even today, there are civilizations, today in 2021, that are struggling with this idea that when a woman is raped, that you don't punish her. Right? We know this. Right? There are countries in this world, countries that are considered to be more or less civilized, where when a woman is raped, she is then blamed. Okay? And this is, this is Torah saying she is not to blame. There's only one person who is punished for multiple le- on multiple levels, and it's the guy, and he is put to death. Whereas to the girl, yeah. Um, is God telling Moses to relay all this information? Moses is relaying all of it, and it's all coming from God, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. This is new. It hasn't been in this the This is new. Before. This is new. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas to the girl, the Torah says, you shall do nothing. The girl did not commit a sin, deserving of death. For just as a man rises up against his fellow and murders him, so is this case. Look at how the Torah describes rape and assault. It's like a guy that murders his fellow. In other words, there's one, there's, there's a victim and a perpetrator, and don't confuse the two. I cannot tell you how, I mean, I'm not telling anything to you, I'm just saying, I, in, my, in my mind and in my heart, in my gut, I just... Marvel is not the right word, but I just, I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled and baffled at how long it's taken societies to figure this out. Okay, verse 27. Because he found her in the field, she's not to blame. He is, he is the perpetrator. He is the criminal. The betrothed girl had cried out, and there was no, but there was none to save her. Okay, now is another case. If a man finds a virgin girl who was not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her, and they are found, this is a case where there is consent. Even though it says seizes, seizes doesn't mean non-consensual. Seizes means 
Actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There is an element here of, uh, of, of, of seizing here. Look, look at the context. Let's continue verse 29. The man who lay with her shall give 50 shekels of silver to the girl's father, and she shall become his wife, because he violated her. He shall not send her away all the days of his life. And this sounds like the worst. Are you kidding me? So a guy, I mean, seizes her and violates her, and, and then he has to, and then he should, they should get married? So I don't know if there's a way that I can explain this satisfactorily to our, to our understanding. But, but, here's one thing to think about. At a time when a woman who had been with another man or had been, in this case, seized or violated by another man would be not for, not for good reasons, would be considered damaged goods vis-a-vis -vis marriage in many ancient civilizations. The Torah is saying that that would be another form of assault, another form of abuse, to leave her with no hope and no future. So if she wants, she doesn't have to, obviously. If she's like, no way, then it's no way. But if she wants, if she wants, if it's preferable, then Bezdin, the court, will force him to marry her. Force, whatever. Will strongly encourage so that, she, so that he's not left, so that she's not left without, without an option of marriage, without an option of support. Again, in our times, we're dealing with a level of empowerment and a level of, of, of self, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, self-reliance that oftentimes did not exist back in the, for women that didn't exist in some, in many communities back, in many societies, civilizations back in the day. So we look at this and we're like, this doesn't make any sense. She should press charges, right? And that's it. And that, that, should, be the, that should be the end of it. And he should have nothing to do with her ever and restraining her. And, and that's, that's the extent. Oh, hey. Okay, hey, just say hi and then, and then uh, I got to get back, okay? See you. Okay. So in our modern, in our modern society, right, the way, the way things exist, there's... there's um, this, this law wouldn't, doesn't make sense. But in another time, where a woman who had been with another guy or been assaulted by another guy would be off limits, there might have been a preference, even from her, to ultimately be with this guy. Now, you're telling me, but, and you're saying, so this guy, she should be her husband? How does that make any sense on any level? I don't know that I can answer that. I don't know, because I can't, I, I can't put myself in that space. Um, obviously, she doesn't have to. She could say no. The point is that if she, if she wants it, for whatever reason, he can't say no, really. Right? He has to take responsibility. And that's what it says. He shall not send her away all the days of his life. That means divorce. You, the guy has to take responsibility. So in essence, what we're saying is that an abuser who then walks away, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's an easy way to, to, to explain this to, to us or to, to myself even, but this is kind of, I hope you're getting sort of what, 
you know, the ideas here that are explained in the commentaries. Does it make any sense? Sort of? No? Yeah, okay. Fine. Let's see if there's uh, some Rashis that are going to shed some light on this. Um, okay. No. Interesting. Okay. No, there's no Rashi on this. Okay. All right. So, I just read a Rashi interesting that says that if the if a, if the man is assaulting the woman in the field, right? So it's it's justified to stop that act even by killing the guy. So killing in the act of rape, yeah, is is justified. Just like just like stopping a murderer, right? That's why the Torah in 26, for just as a man rises up against his fellow murderers, him, so is this case. And it was just like you're allowed to kill to stop a, to stop a murder, right? You're allowed to use capital force to stop, uh, um, uh, lethal force to stop a murder. You're allowed to use lethal force to stop this rape. And again, we end off with this, these last few verses, 28 and 29, is probably in, in the Torah one of those cases that really challenges the modern mind and, and doesn't make sense, I will say, just doesn't make sense in our entire worldview and society, the way society is set up, the way it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense in our framework. Again, I'm not based on this off Rashi, but based on what I've seen and studied about this from other sources, and I can't tell you exactly source, chapter, and verse, but my... My, rec my recollection is that kind of what's discussed about this is in a, in, in a different context. In an ancient world, this was actually sometimes to her benefit, and the Torah is saying that if this is what she wants and this will be to her benefit, the guy can't back out of it because that would be further abusing. Like abusing and then not stepping up to the plate. It's kind of like I would liken it to in modern, in, 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 for modern understanding, and I, I know I'm, I'm like... Or, walking a fine line of trying to explain something that doesn't make sense and not sound like completely out of touch. And what I'm trying to say is, I'm not speaking about us. This is a different context. But in a modern context, there might be a case of, let's say a guy, you know, violates a woman and then, you know, and she's pregnant, she has the kid, and then the question about child support, right? So to not pay child support would be to further victimize, right? So there's like, this thing, and then it's like doubling, and then not, and, and not. So in this case, it was, if she needs to be taken care of, and, and she wants this guy to take care of her, he can't say, sorry, I'm out. That's not right. It wasn't right, not justifying what happened initially. Obviously, obviously not. No one's saying that. Um, but to compound the initial act of the, the horrific initial act with a further act of leaving her basically like this, without any support, that's like, that's, that, that's, that the court can say, now you're on the hook. Now you're on the hook to support her. Okay. Let's continue at Deuteronomy chapter 23. Now, would a, in, a, in a modern court, modern society say that maybe, you know, they shouldn't get married, but maybe he should give her money for support? Sure. But in, the, in that context, that's kind of what that looked like. 
Deuteronomy chapter 23, and uh, we'll, we'll move to the next, next um, a few verses as we close out the reading. A man shall not take his father's wife. These are forbidden relationships. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor shall he uncover the corner of his father's cloak. Okay, so father's wife, by the way, does not necessarily mean his mother, but his stepmother. Person should not be, um, again, forbidden relationships, forbidden acts of intimacy. A man with injured testicles or whose member is cut may not enter the assembly of the Lord. So there's actually a prohibition over there um, about marriage and relationships in a situation where the... Um, where there is an injury that would preclude procreation. Anyway, there's a, there's a lot to talk about on that thing. Let's see if there is a Rashi that we can see on this specific... Yeah, so there's an issue of not producing children. So the idea is since it's a mitzvah to have kids, so ideally... Those that can, yeah, so I, look, should, should he not, what does it mean, not enter the assembly of the Lord? Should not get married or should not marry someone who likewise, who could have kids otherwise to try to make sure that, that couples can have kids? To the best of our ability, that's what the Torah said. All right, number three, verse three. A bastard shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even the tenth generation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even the ten generations shall never enter the assembly of the Lord. And that means even if they've converted. Because, why not? Because they did not greet you with bread and water on the way when you left Egypt. Because he, the people of Moab, hired Balaam, the son of Baar, from Pithom and Aram Narayim against you to curse you. So number one, they didn't feed you. Number two, they tried to curse you and kill you. But you heard about the food. They didn't give us food, right? Killing us is one thing, but they didn't feed us. That's it. They're out. Okay. By the way, Ammonite or... Is the assembly of the Lord the Michigan? No, assembly means the community. The community. Yeah, it means the community. It means marrying into the community. Um, marrying into the community. Exactly. So then, Who do so they marry? The, they, the bastard has to marry a... Uh, a, um, a uh, I just don't even like that term. A, 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 a person in a similar status. And an Ammonite or Moabite have to marry someone who's likewise a convert from Ammon or Moab. Um, and then, after a few generations, then, then, then that is permitted. Okay. What happens to the children? children? How many generations do you want to go? Are you asking three generations? It says tenth generation, but that means after the tenth generation, they can go in. So children's children would still be third generation, still not allowed it. But children's 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 we're allowed to be in. Now, again, are there other laws on this? I'm sure, right? This is just the, this, the, the verse, which is like the, the, short, the short nugget. This is expounded on, in, in, certainly in Jewish law. And I, I don't necessarily have all of these, these uh, every specific mitzvah here, the full ray of, of the oral tradition, Mishnah, Talmud, Halacha, Rambam, Maimonides, on all of these things in my head, ready to go right now. But you can certainly know that there's a lot of discussion about what constitutes each of these categories and what exactly the parameters are of what they, who they can and cannot marry, etc. But this is the short, you know, the, the Cliff Notes version, the, uh, the list version. Why not the Ammonite or Moabite? It's because, again, they didn't greet you with bread and water and because they hired Balaam to curse you. 
But the Lord your God did not want to listen. So now we get a little history lesson in, in the context. But the Lord your God did not want to listen to Balaam. This is Moses speaking to the people. So the, so the Lord your God transformed the curse into a blessing for you. Because the Lord your God loves you. Always good to mention God's love, even in a context of you know, relationships and forbidden relationships. Okay, you shall, never, you shall not ever seek out the, their welfare or their good all your days. Don't be kind or don't be like all into the Moabites. That's referring specifically to Moab, who hired Balaam to curse the Jewish people. All right, by the way, I should mention Ruth came from Moab. So how did she convert and marry in right away? Because the Torah says Ammonite or Moabite in the male terminology, not the female. An Ammonites or a Moabites are allowed to convert and marry in right away. It's just the men who were guilty of not greeting with the bread and water and were guilty of hiring Balaam to curse the Jewish people. The women were not part of that. Therefore, they are not part of the Ammonite or Moabite ban of marrying into the community. Okay, that's it. A, a, a bit of a, a bit of a, I don't know, how would I describe this reading? Controversial, I don't know. A bit of a um, yes. complicated, um, sensitive. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot, yes. lot, lot of stuff to talk about in, in this reading. Um, okay. Let's, um, I'll wrap it up in a second. I just want to see reading four. I want to see the, um, the beginning. Okay, interesting. Good. We get into more relationship stuff and some other details. All right, so to recap today, here's what we spoke about. We spoke about building a house and putting up a rail. Mazel tov, if you build a house, make sure to put up the railing. Make sure it's safe. This is the, you know, the code, building codes of, uh, of Torah. We talked about forbidden mixtures, a bunch of different ones um, over here. These verses 9 through 12 are forbidden mixtures. We spoke about a husband, a new husband who makes up or who believes something that is not correct about his wife. This is called Motzi Shemra. It's a very big sin to say something not, first of all, say something not true or not nice about anybody is not, is not good, especially about one spouse. Um, we spoke about the, uh, the idea of adultery and how that's a capital crime. We spoke about um, that that's only true when there's consent. But if there's assault, if it's, if it's rape, obviously, then it's not her, it's, it's not her indiscretion. It's only his, obviously, right? He's, she's the victim completely. I mean, he's the perpetrator. We also spoke about a case where they were single, and uh, the man is with her, and, and the bottom line is, if she wants, he can't just walk away. He has to support her, and if that's in the context of marriage, then that's what that context is, but if she wants his support, he cannot just, you know, uh, force his way on her and then walk away if she needs that support. Um, then we spoke about, I'm just seeing what else we had here. Then we spoke about forbidden relationships and forbidden marriages, or like who can, who can or cannot marry into the community. We spoke about the Ammonite, the Moabite ban, and how that's only applicable to the men, and how ultimately God transformed the curses into blessings because Hashem 
loves you. That's a nice way to end. Because the Lord your God loves you. Okay, that's a good ending. What's the moral of the story? God loves you. Okay, that, that I can... That I can uh... All right. Good. Questions or comments? And I know this wasn't an easy reading. Quite, yes, Donna. I'm confused about the man that, uh, I guess he has difficult, I guess is, he had injury. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't understand why he's He mad should at... marry somebody who similarly cannot have children. So that's, that's what it means. Because otherwise, he, the, his spouse won't be able to have children, right? And he'll, he'll be preventing her from having children. This is, of course, if you know. Like, if you don't know, you don't know. So, like, there's no... That's why I said, look, all of these are, like, these are, like, bullet points, almost, which have elaborate conversation. But the point of it is that if the guy... It's obvious, like, okay, everyone... Not, maybe not everyone, because it's not public. But, like, the guy knows he can't have kids. There's, it's not physically possible to have kids. So then let him marry someone that also can't have kids. Ideally, right? Ideally. Is that, but he's still part of the community. He's yeah, 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 yeah. What it means is just marrying anybody. That's what it means. He can't just marry anybody. Like we said, the, like we said, the, um, uh, the Ammonite and Moabite that convert can't just marry anybody. They can marry fellow converts from Ammon and Moab. They're allowed to convert to Judaism and marry a fellow convert from those nations, but they can't marry whoever they want. So this guy also can't marry whoever he wants. He's got to marry someone because it wouldn't be, the Torah is basically saying, she, maybe she wants to have kids. And you, so, so then, so that, that's, that's going to be, that's not going to be good for her. Okay, look, if you don't know, you don't know. Obviously, if you don't know, you don't know. That's, that's like, this is a case where there's a physical injury. So it was known. So if it's known, like, it's like the question, would it be right for a guy who knows a young man, you know, with shidduchim, right, with, uh, with marriages and matchmakers and what's that, within the community, would it be right for a guy to start dating, you know, a girl and not disclose the fact that he knows this? It wouldn't be right. It's like, if you know, you got it, it's got to be up front. Now, if she also doesn't, look, the bottom line is it's protecting, in this case, it's protecting her, the potential wife, from marrying a guy maybe not knowing, and then not being able to have kids, and, and, and that sort of thing. Look, children are a blessing from Hashem. So there's only, there's only so much that we know and can control. But if you know for sure the guy can't have kids, then uh, the, the interest he here is, he has to say. Uh, and, and last line saying that that's a curse? Uh, and but it'll be turned into a blessing. The last line we just read. Balam. No, that's with Balam, right? It's that's but it why that's. To do it with all these different. No, 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 no. It's Balam, right? It's just giving the history, right? Don't marry. Don't let the Moabite marry in willy nilly, right? Because they did something not nice. They didn't feed you, and they hired Balam to curse you. But God didn't listen to Balam, so He transformed the curse into a blessing because He loves you. This is all the context of Balaam and, and Moab, not, not these other cases, right? And then it says, you should not seek out their welfare for, uh, or their good. And that's referring again to Ammon and Moab, those two nations. All right. But yeah, look, the idea here is that, um, that the person, that the guy can't ha is not able to have children. And, and that's the thing. Now, what, you could ask the question. I mean, it's a valid question. What about today where we have technologies where, you know, maybe, again, so... I'll just 
preface this by saying, I don't know all the technologies, and I don't know how, in all cases, obviously, I'm not a fertility doctor. You probably realize that at this point. Because um, I have, you know, the rabbi stuff that I'm doing. So, but, I, but would it be possible, a guy, in this case, as the Torah describes, that something could happen, you know, in a lab, etc.? Who knows? So today, would that be a little bit different because they still could have kids? Perhaps. Perhaps. But back in the day, it, 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 certain things were just not happening. It just was not, would not be a go. And so therefore, the Torah says, again, that's one, one of the cases of, these, of the longer list of, of, of where the marriage should stay within a certain context and, and not just be, be put out there because it could... Uh, um, hold back this woman from being able to have children. And it's the cause of divorce. No? I mean, in a marriage, if one cannot. Yeah. Well, the Torah says, like we have by uh, by Abraham and Sarah, that after you know a number of years they couldn't have kids, and so Sarah says, "All right, so take Hagar. You know, take uh, take the maidservant, and he was with her, and he has a kid, and then God blesses Sarah." But yeah, the, the halacha says that if a couple can't have kids, then maybe you don't have to. You don't have to, but maybe there's a consideration to like, okay, let's let each one go their way and try it with someone else. Again, these halachas were written before fertility tests. Nowadays, we can. I mean, if the, the Hashem does not bless everybody. I mean, right, know, right, you know. right. So, but today we have tests and we have medicine no, and we know what the no. deal is. But back in the day, the thing was, we don't know who, what, where, when. That for whatever reason, they can't have together. If they want to go their separate ways to try with others, you can do that. Um, Wasn't it if they didn't have a son? No. After a certain number of years, there's, there's a divorce? No. Not to, my, not, not to my understanding. I've never seen that. I've never, I've never read that. No, it's if a couple can't have kids and they want to try with... Then that, then that is a valid, if they want, that's a valid reason. There's a story in the Talmud about this. I, I will end with a story because uh, it's getting late and, and I'm sure everyone has to run, but I will end with a quick story. Talmud says there was a couple married for 10 years. They didn't have children. They came to Rabbi Akiva. They said to Rabbi Akiva, look, we care, you know, kids, what should we do? We we're thinking about this. He says, okay, what do you want to do? So... They said, okay, we want to we wanna divorce and, and try, try our luck with, with other partners, with other spouses. So it's fine. Rabbi Kiva says that he's fine, but if, but if you got married with a party, then you have to get divorced with a party. If you had a party when you got, a celebration when you got married, you have to have a celebration when you got divorced. And they didn't get divorced because they were upset at each other, just because of, you know, this. So they said, okay, they listened to the rabbi, and they threw a divorce party. And uh, this is like 2,000 years ago. They threw a divorce party. And at the party, you know, um, it, was a, it was a celebration. Indeed, a celebration, and it was in their house. And the fellow, the husband, said a little l'chaim. He drank a little bit. And, uh, and that's it. At the party, he says to her, like deep into the night, he turns to her and says, you know, I love you, everything, da-da-da. It's so sad. You can take from the house, it was his house, she was going to go, I guess, back to her parents, whatever it was. He says, you can take from the house whatever you want. You can take whatever you want. Okay. So, um, fine. He, at some, some point he falls asleep because you know, he, he drank a little too much. 
he fell asleep, like in a very deep sleep. And what happens is, she, um, middle of the night, she gets some friends that are at the party, and she tells them to bring him, carry him over to her father's house. He wakes up the next morning, and he's in her house, in her father's house. He wakes up, he's like, what's going on? She says, you told me I could take anything that I wanted, and I wanted you. Aw, so cute. So, um, so now they're stuck. They try to get divorced. They can't even get divorced. Like they, they tried. It didn't even work. So they come back to the rabbi. The rabbi smiled and he said, all right, so listen, if you can't, if it didn't work out, so then Hashem should bless you with a child. And indeed, they had a child. In other words, what did they want? They didn't want to get divorced. They wanted a child. Okay, so then if you want a child, then I'll bless you with a child. And they had a child thereafter. Okay, that has a happy ending. So what's the point? What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is, yes, theoretically, it's a possibility. It's an option. It doesn't have to be an option. But it's an option if the parties so choose it. Okay. All right, friends. Um, I'm going to let you all go. Have a wonderful day. It's good to study together. We'll see you tomorrow. Same bat time. Same bat channel. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye.